Well, Joe, here you go. I, I pulled the uh, uh, dump truck up around back, so here's all your titles for this week's Digital Noise you got to watch. Oh, boy, do you have one of those back braces? Because my sciatica. No, no, don't worry about that. We'll set them all up uh, around you. So you can watch uh, these 50 titles in the next three days, right? Uh, how much booze can you give me? You know, booze? What the hell you need? I thought you were a professional. Yeah, and I'm fueled by booze. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, like, at least five of these are TV shows. Uh, you know what? Here, have a beer. Okay, thanks. Yeah, no, actually, uh, I, I have an incentive program with booze. If I don't watch enough titles, I have to take a Jaeger shot. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. And we've got a shit ton of titles to talk about this week. Jesus Christ, this is ridiculous how many titles we have to go through. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, do you want to start with movies or television? Let's start with television. The TV! The, the, the Kids are watching the TV! It's what they're into these days. Oh, totally. Those crazy kids. Well, let's start off with, uh, I think, one of the more interesting TV shows we got sent this week, which was the... Uh, Golden Globe winning the uh, season one of The Affair. Uh, this won Best Television Series Drama. And Ruth Wilson, who you may remember from the show Luther as the sort of female Hannibal Lecter type, uh, won Best Actress. And she is indeed really good in this series. She is Best and Actress. And the thing about this is, this is, a, this is admittedly not really... I mean, it's genre in the sense that, you know, there's it's got violence and stuff but you know it's it's really just more of a straight drama than anything oh no it, completely uh, but a very well done one i think it's gimmick gets a little tired in fact even very the, tired. even the makers seem to just get kind of get exhausted with it about halfway through i mean like you know what whatever <laughs> just we're still doing it but it's not really as like uh, you know the gimmick being that half the the first half of the show is from the man's point of view, played by Dominic West as Noah Soloway, and the second half of the show is from uh, Ruth Wilson's point of view as Allison Bailey. Uh, and you know, for the first several episodes, you're really watching the exact same story over just and played over, out, yeah. and you're a little like. Okay, but thankfully the show eventually goes to where okay they're having they're doing entirely different things and so it's filling it all in and the idea being Dominic West uh, or Noah Soloway is a teacher and a writer who is taking a vacation with his uh, his mother and father in law and his wife and his kids on uh, uh, Montauk on Long Island for the summer. And uh, his, you know, step parents, his dad, his his or his father in law is a, you know, really rich, successful writer, but who's kind of a hack. Writer. Oh, I was going to say he, he was a professional jackass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's kind of like you know the James Patterson-ish type guy who's like never written anything that's going to be nominated for anything major, but you know, all his books always sell. Someday I'm going to take Kuntz down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, is really kind of like looks at him askance at even like thinking anything, thinking of himself as being a writer. Oh, you're at one book. How quaint. It was kind of like a while we're young with with a, a similar dynamic of of uh, the father-in-law yeah. looking down on on the son-in-law. Most definitely. Um, but 
you know, their wedding, their their marriage seems fine. They're very yeah, happy together. Yeah, I, <laughs> but for whatever reason, when uh, Noah meets Allison, who's a waitress in the local diner, it's you know he's just like, oh, I gotta fuck that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's like going to a crappy bar and being like that barfly. Mm, I don't know what it is about that, but I gotta do that. And I mean, you get the idea, and is established that this is the first time he's ever done anything like this, and a lot of it is just he's just just kind of distressed to be out there in the first place he kind of feels inadequate around his his uh in-laws uh which doesn't help it doesn't help that they constantly do their best to make him feel inadequate oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh they, he very quickly starts getting to an affair with this character who is in fact married to joshua jackson to the from pacey Fringe, uh, cole lockhart who comes from an old family on the island uh that own a ranch and that's not doing very well and uh, uh, are indeed drug dealers as well. <laughs> but the nice kind of drug dealers. Yeah, the good ones. Yeah, they're those good drug dealers. They'll spot you. They'll spot you. They're pleasant drug dealers. <laughs> uh, and their marriage has been kind of on the rocks because they had a child who died very young and uh, she's been kind of cold to him ever since. And as this goes along, they they set up this thing where you see every once in a while both the main characters being interviewed in a police station, and something happens. Yeah, like who died? What and up? So, the, so like part of the mystery of the show is really just figuring out. Well, what the fuck happened? Why are they being interviewed in this in this police station? And in fact, did are either of them culpable in what happened? And I think I I will say on the whole I really did enjoy this and the way it played out I think uh, that part of it in particular is kind of what keeps you going that and the performances which are really strong. Well, I felt it kind of had H or a Showtime syndrome where uh, the 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 dialogue is really well written, but they there's always another little hitch to it and I I just what do you kinda, mean? Um, well, in in this case it was. Uh, it wasn't so much concept as, as it was like that first half just being so repetitive and like, okay, now you get an extra three seconds, uh, you know, from a slightly different angle. And that just really wasn't enough. I, I just kind of felt like they needed to, to, to push momentum a little bit harder on that one. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a hard start. The show. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's one of those ones. If you stick with it, ultimately it pays off. But that being said, there is no reason this isn't a one and done show. Yeah. It ends and you're like on a cliffhanger where you're like, seriously, what else is there to do at this point? <laughs> you know, you're going to resolve this one little issue and then what? It really shouldn't be called the affair anymore. No, no. Should it? Uh, it, it seems absolutely silly to have this be a continuing series. Yeah, maybe it'll be like another affair. But that being <laughs> said, this first season really does. I mean, it more it with the ex- the exception of a very tacked on like uh, you know uh, conclusion uh, cliffhanger. It pretty much ends the story. Yeah, but I, what, what I kind of did in my head as I was watching it was I just said it so that this was like the dark version of Bob's Burgers <laughs> because it's, it's you know it's a similar setting you know sure, it's, it's sure. a it's a northeastern coastal touristy town yeah and uh, you know uh, that was actually Tina grown up yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, you know I do think this is the type of show that you're like that. Is definitely directed at women. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a very there's lots of eroticism in this. There's tons of there's like four sex scenes in every episode. Yeah, you know, with everybody getting naked. But it's not it's not like Spartacus Gross. No, no, no. <laughs> They're trying to make it all romantic and sweet. 
Uh, <laughs> and, and I think I could, I could definitely see a lot of people really getting into the show. I just don't know if, in general, most of our audience would really dig it as much. It is a well-made show. It's just for a very specific type of audience. Yeah, although I did really appreciate Moira Tierney, because I've been in love with her since News Radio. Yeah, who plays uh, Dominic West's actual wife, Helen. Uh, and yeah, but I, you, I always like seeing her. Yeah, I had such a crush on her in the News Radio days, too. But she isn't given a hell of a lot to do. Nope. I mean, neither is Joshua Jackson. Who no, they're ficuses. The, who most of the time looks just looks like he's bored to even be there. You know, like, whereas Dominic West and Ruth Wilson are acting their fucking asses right. off. Like, a lot of the side characters are just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Let's just get through <laughs> I this. I wonder what James is doing right now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I do recommend The Affair, but with the, you know... The notification, it's not for everyone. I don't know if I can necessarily recommend Dig Season 1. Oh, I can. Can you? (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, the story here is based on this FBI agent played by Jason Isaacs, you might remember from the evil dad of a little evil blonde kid. What was his name? Still haven't seen Harry Potter. Still haven't seen Harry Potter. Uh, uh, Now I have to actually click on his fucking name so I can remember. I told myself what it was earlier so I wouldn't forget, and I forgot. Uh, Seems like he should have a really nice chin dimple. Yeah, he. Yeah, well, you know that's what you do when you when you're uh, Jason Isaacs. You you work on the, the chin dimple. Lucius Malfoy is who he played in there. Uh, here he's playing the hero, this FBI agent. He's in Jerusalem and he ends up getting involved in this. Well, he's he's he meets has this meet cute with this really hot chick on the on the street with like red Lola run hair. Yeah, who uh, supposedly looks like his daughter. Well, yeah, which is one unresolved <laughs> thing in this whole thing that he's clearly attracted to her. You know, to the point they're like skinny dipping right from the get go. Yeah, they were about there. to go to pound yeah, about town. to boink, and and later they're like, oh, because she looks exactly like my daughter. It's like what? <laughs> what just happened there? Yeah, so was- she gets she disappears. And they find out that she's been murdered, and so he's there to investigate her murder and starts finding out that it ties into this huge conspiracy involving multiple religious groups, a very extreme group of Orthodox oh, Jews. Oh, yeah, we should say that this this is happening in, in Jerusalem. Yeah, and I did he, say that. And it, Well, the, he's an FBI agent somehow in posted Jerusalem. in Jerusalem. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, it involves a conspiracy to basically destroy the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and and by way of doing that reintroduces you to a bunch of Raiders of the Lost Ark shit. Yeah. Like the Well of Souls and what have you. Yeah, it's essentially the reason why I, I recommend it is that it's when Corny meets eschatology. <laughs> <laughs> it is Corny. <laughs> That's for sure. And it's not like it's boring, per se. It's just far-fetched as fuck yep. at every turn. You're like, wait a minute. Why would that... And I think one of the things that really fell flat for me here is there's a like a super church back in America yeah. that has this member uh, that, that are totally evil, and they're raising the... The, the, the high priest. Yeah, they're raising the high priest, which presumably is like... Which is cloned. I guess they never... I don't think they ever actually said, but Mm-mm. I'm guessing clone of Jesus or something like that. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. But uh, the, who's a little kid. And Lauren Ambrose, who you might remember from Six Feet Under, uh, plays a woman in the church who starts to realize that things aren't how they say they are and basically absconds with the kid to try and save him from the church. And that whole storyline is really dull and goes nowhere. Oh, yeah. They even did the, 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 the standard like, oh, she used to do the drugs. Yeah. There's <laughs> so much shit in there. You're like, you could have excised this entire storyline from the show, which is a big part of the show, and it wouldn't have had any real impact. 
No, because uh, part I mean part of what I like about the show is is uh, you know all the shots in Jerusalem because it, visually it's a very interesting city. Yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, it's a very pretty looking show. Yeah. Like, no, yeah the, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful like shots and like beautiful uh, shooting locations here, and I like all the sort of like you know ancient religious mystery and like stuff that still moves after two thousand years with, mm-hmm. with mechanical parts if you put the right thing <laughs> in the right thing. I love that kind of shit. But mainly, this is a sort of it's Jason Bourne if he was in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like Pretty if much, the yeah. Bourne movies made a Raiders film, this is what they're trying to make. I'm not saying it's that like good like that sounds. I'm yeah. saying it's that's what they're trying to do, and it comes off as really silly. I was worried it was going to come off a little left behindish at first. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it never no, does. It's not. It's not its goal. Is it's not a religious show. It's a show. That the mystery involves major religion, right? And unfortunately, you're never going to see Nazis disintegrated by by no, Holy Spirit. There are so. no Nazis, Unfor- uh, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I guess it was just the sheer dumbness of the whole thing that really ultimately made me go, "Yeah, this was kind of a waste of time." But if you like, you know, if you like schlock, then- if you like schlock that is pretty looking schlock and has lots of a good amount of action in it, mm-hmm. yeah, the mm-hmm. dig's not terrible but it sure ain't good either well it's it's uh i was surprised that it was put out by usa just because of the the production value on it usa but i would say that (laughs) if you're getting sick of season eight or nine of psych then you know throw the dig on yeah yeah like i said it's 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 passable i can't believe they're doing a second season right like where where he like what finds another dig that involves a mystery (laughs) like yeah you know what we this what this uh uh, ancient religious-based conspiracy archaeology situation needs an FBI agent yeah, to investigate. Yeah, yeah we do. Because <laughs> of tax crimes. Oh, yeah, and Anne Heche is in here as the special agent in charge of the FBI there, his boss, who, even though it was, like, they sort of say, oh, at one point he was her boss, and I, they never really make clear what happened. He got disgraced somehow. Yeah. And now they're fucking all the time. And well, like, yeah, it was like, lady, what is your motivation here? And the weird connection, like, he's still in love with his wife, who he calls on the phone sometimes, but we never see, Mm-mm. who's never a character in the actual show. And she, she's, she's made it fairly clear that she gets very upset when she has to talk to him. Yeah, well, you would, too. He's kind of annoying. Yeah, <laughs> and a little on the obsessive side. Yeah, ultimately, I don't think I can recommend The Dig. I can recommend, and this is one of the ones that you did not get to see, my apologies, Hell on Wheels, Season 4, ramping up towards the end, uh, Season 5, which will be split, of course, as they do, into two seasons, more or less. Mm-hmm. I already saw the planned Blu-ray releases. Season 5, Part 1, which means, oh, no. so you're going to take a six-month break. <laughs> halfway through like you do these but days. then you can do the box set that's actually a choo-choo but this is actually <laughs> this is actually really uh satisfying uh television western uh about the construction of the first transcontinental railroad across the u.s uh and the the main star here is anson mount who is playing a you know total the cowboy to end all cowboys guy who originally came out there seeking for the men who killed his family but once that was done, yeah, he got to get a job. Well, he's actually like, you know what? I'm going to just build this railroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a ton of characters on this show. Call Meany plays the boss of the the railroad who, for the first several seasons of this, is decidedly the villain. Yeah. Now we're at the point that he's not the villain anymore. Okay, he's a little shady, but not so much the villain. Because uh, it, it's one of those shows that I, I started on Netflix mm. uh, a little while back. And so 
Yeah, I haven't gotten through the first season, but you know, I really liked what I saw. I really liked Common. I thought I thought Common was Common really good. Is the high point of this show playing Elam Ferguson, who was a recently freed slave who is working uh, working there and has become over the length of the show very close with uh, Anson Mount's can- character Bohannon, uh, and you know, basically his his right hand man. Uh, and there's a lot of great uh, – part of the problem of the show is sometimes they kill off the best characters or have excuses for them to leave. Like Tom Noonan mm-hmm. played this crazy reverend who was on it for the first couple seasons, and he was great. Tom Noonan's always so creepy. Nope, gone. Uh, last season, they killed off a whole bunch of characters, and this season is no different. Uh, <laughs> uh, really, the main villains this season, they bring in these guys who are uh, assigned by the uh, President Grant to come and – basically make Wisconsin formally a state. And, oh, all right. and and these guys are just carpetbaggers. You know, scumbag, yeah. bounty hunter, carpetbagger, you name it, the bad guys. The guy's like, look, I'm the governor now, so... And he's there to basically claim all the property in the town to claim the railroad any way he can and to be a dick. And it's basically all the guys who previously were kind of bad guys all team up together with the good guys to say, fuck this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And that's very satisfying because Carl Meany is such a good actor and he's a good character here. The downside is like Common, who we saw towards the end of the last season, was mauled by a bear. What? He went out looking for uh, for Cullen Bohannon, who had been kidnapped by uh, very fanatical extreme Mormons. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's the thing. Well, back then, yeah, they I, were. They I had were... to look that up. Yeah, they were militaristic as yep. shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you're like, okay, so what the hell? Well, Common is only in this season for like two episodes. And unfortunately it looks like it's probably his end on the, the series. And it, he acts his fucking ass off in those two episodes. They are decidedly common episodes. Nice. Like one of them, he's like really the, pretty much the only character on the show that he's in. Uh, and yeah, they do a great little arc for those two episodes, but it's, you want to see him being, you know, hanging out with Colin, you know, it's like, love that relationship. So that's a little disappointing. Uh, Christopher, Christopher Herodal, one of the great character actors on TV right now plays Thor Gunderson, also known as the Swede, who is a complete psycho and has mesmerized this Mormon group, uh, by killing the guy. He was the preacher who was coming there to be the new leader and taking his place. Well, that's how it works. And he has an interesting arc here as well, uh, although I definitely like him when he's at his crazy bloodiness instead of, like, like pounding the Bible. But ultimately, this is a really good season of the show. I'm looking very much looking forward to seeing how it's going to conclude. If you're not watching Hell on Wheels, I mean, I'm not going to pretend this is Deadwood. It's not. I mean, Deadwood is the great television western that never ended, sadly. Thanks yeah. a lot, fucking HBO. <laughs> but uh, Hell on Wheels is, is, is not poetic in that sense, but it sure does have a lot of action, has a lot of interesting characters, high uh, production value. I mean, it's on AMC. And, uh, you know, you're, I, I think if you give it a chance and you like westerns, you're really going to like it. I think it's really worth your time. Do you think they'll they'll do Deadwood 2099? <laughs> what would be the point? <laughs> Why not? Just to finish up the story arc from, from the original? Timothy, but, but just set it in the far future. The oil elephant wanders into a uh, lost cave, and when he comes out the other Robot side, cave. it's in the future. Exactly, yeah. 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 And, and, and Swearingen's still there? Like everybody. Yeah, everyone's like, what, what? <laughs> What's the problem? Yeah, I, I've always on, wanted, I gotta take this call. Yeah, I've always had a space vest. What are you talking about? <laughs> space vest. That's just a thing <laughs> that you wear in the future of Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, there's God, what was it? Oh, uh, I was watching when I was watching the original Battlestar Galactica uh, series that they set, and I think we talked about them on the show. There's a Western episode where they go to like the the planet that's still like the old West, and everyone's wearing traditional Western gear except they're all like clearly have aluminum foil just tacked all D- over yeah. it, so it's silver traditional <laughs> Western gear. Like, yeah, now it's space Western outfits. All right, next up is season one of Cinemax's The Nick, which is remarkable because Steven Soderbergh, who announced, hey, I'm, I don't know if I'm completely quitting, but I'm definitely taking a break from making movies for some time, said, yeah, but I want to do television. And yeah, the mic magic took it out of him. Right? I you can't blame him. Uh, that's that's a lot of uh, male junk in your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But he directed every episode of this season starring Clive Owen, uh, playing Dr. John W. Thackeray, who is the one of the head doctors at a slightly fictional fictionalized version of the Knickerbocker Hospital in New York, which was known as the Nick during the early part of the 20th century. Uh, and he is indeed a very good edge of the, you know, edge of the t- science doctor and, uh, you know, in many ways a good man, but he's also really fucking addicted to coke. Yeah. <laughs> Injecting yeah. Coke, which who the fuck does that? Uh, you do. <laughs> what? Not me. Well, I mean, if, if it's in liquid form, heck yeah. I mean, you're looking at me. My arms are open. Even my, I'm not even wearing any shoes. You can see my, t- look at my toes. See? Nothing. Well, it's because yeah. it's because you're vaping cocaine. Is that a thing? I don't know, but it probably will be now that I said it. Yeah, it probably will be. <laughs> Someone's looking into it right now. Uh, and Clive Owen, I think, does a great job pulling the, you know, going bef- between being this, you know, admirable doctor and this deplorable drug addict. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that that's kind of the thing. I don't know how admirable he is. Like, certainly to a point, yeah. but, but uh, even some of the stuff that he does is like, this is this is ambition that's guiding you more than, than uh, gen- general want to help. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, controversy here when they bring in a new uh, assistant chief surgeon, uh, played by Andre Holland, who is a black man, and he is definitely the most qualified person for the position, but turn of the century, black guy. Yeah, what you going to do? <laughs> the, the rest of the doctors ain't really having it, and in fact are really upset, and he's being told pretty much like by everybody but the person who did the hire, look, just, you know, just push him off to the side. Don't actually let him do anything. Patients don't want to be treated by black doctors, what have you. Uh, and he's like, well, fuck it. He builds his own clinic in the basement. <laughs> yeah, they, they they give him his office, and he's like, I guess I can do something with this. Yeah, and I actually really liked Andrew Holland in this role. I thought it was actually the first time I think I remember seeing him in anything, and he's pretty memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, you also might rec- recognize Michael Angarano as Bertie Chickering Jr., who's a new young surgeon and you know a little more liberal about such things than a lot of the other guys, uh, who's really in love with a nurse, who is really in love with uh, Clive Owen's character? Well, I mean, when, when you when you dong inject somebody, that's a bond, dude. That scene, <laughs> she's like, he's like having a serious withdrawal thing, and he's like, I can't even hold the drugs. I need you to inject it under into my dick. <laughs> like <laughs> what? Like, she's like, the fact she did it, I was like, they're bonded for life. Yeah, no, exactly, soul bond. Well, I think there's a lot of stuff to like in here. It's not. This is not the type of show that I would say is typical for Cinemax, certainly, in that it's really not a fast-moving show. Nope. It doesn't really hang on, like, silly character drama at all. Like you said, oh, there's a love triangle. Yeah, but they don't really play it up for the type of shit that, like, another show would. No, they don't. Uh, 
There's definitely going to be comparisons uh, to Clive Owen's character in House. Uh, yeah, I could see that. By far. Um, which is kind of interesting since, you know, House was based off of Sherlock Holmes, which, you know, around the same time period. So, you know, it circles upon circles. Um, yeah. I, I love how they made him look so haggard from the drug use. Oh, yeah. Like, he just looks like shit. He goes from super handsome to, like, wasted yeah. real fast. Uh, and there's nice little mini storylines in here. Like, this is a, about, like, when they found Typhoid Mary, mm-hmm. which looks like it'll be coming back into the second season, because apparently it took years to actually stop Typhoid Mary, even after they knew who she was, because legally... There was no; they couldn't do anything because there was had never been a case before of an asymptomatic carrier that was on record. Right. So they were like, like she's like, look, I am totally healthy. This is ridiculous. They can't keep me in quarantine like this. Which, if you read history, eventually they did. And in fact, she spent like thirty years in quarantine and died, you know, all by herself. <laughs> Nobody allowed near her. What a that poor lady. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, but here, you know, they're basically trying to track her down and then track her down and then trying to fight to keep her, which is an interesting little subplot. And uh, some of the other little sub things are cool. There's like mob involvement going on here. One of the head doctors at the hospital owes a lot of money to the mob. And Yeah, and, and everybody's corrupt. <laughs> yeah, everybody is corrupt. There's a lot of cool, fun stuff in Chinatown and the opium dens there. And there's a lot of nudity and there's a lot of... Uh, really graphic surgery scenes. Yep. Holy shit. Where even I, like, I watch a lot of horror and gore, but I was like, oh, fuck, I can't look at that. Jesus Christ, that that's like, nasty. Y- y- yummy dummy. Like, what, what did they do to make that? Like, the scene with, the, I think, in the first episode with a failed, uh, 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 what do you call it, when the C-section, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, this, this isn't giving away everything because it, it happens fairly early on, but it, when they electrify the hospital yeah. and then the, <laughs> the nurse gets electrified, I just laugh. Yeah, I did laugh, too. <laughs> uh, I, I think The Nick is definitely worth your time if you like uh, really well-written TV that's not necessarily a... a, a you know, virtual page turner, if you yeah, will. It, I would it's call, very Soderbergh. I, I wouldn't call it extraordinary, but I no. would call it pretty. It's pretty. It's well made. It's, you know, it's moving along, but it feels more like a novel than it feels like a yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. regular Absolutely. show. Absolutely. You know, uh, I, I think it's a good show that I'm curious to see where they're going to go with it. Uh, next up is Orphan Black, season three. Now, I got some criticism when I reviewed season two and went, yeah, I feel like this is kind of treading water right now. All right. I'm not entirely sure where they want to go with this. And it's getting a little confusing. Uh, this stars Tatiana Maslany as almost everyone in the show. <laughs> uh, she is a woman who found out, uh, Sarah Manning, who found out that she is, in fact, one of a whole series of identical clones. And she plays all of these said clones. That, by season three... You know, all pretty much all except for one, uh, and maybe more. You know, as the show keeps going on, I'm sure there will be new ones introduced. Uh, all know each other and are working together as they find out that they there is a defect that runs through most of them, but not all. That makes them a they can't have children, and b or will eventually get sick and die. Well, you don't want a bunch of clones having children anyway, because then it's just going to muddle up the gene pool. Well, possibly. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of, like, Well, as babies. long as they're not all having sex with the same guy, which is not the case here. Uh, but season three uh, really is about them furthering the story that started in season two, where they find out they actually have a male equivalent. There are male clones that are 
mainly pretty psycho and killers and are are doing bad things. Mm, naughty, naughty. And part of this is them as well. It's they're tracking down the, uh, you know, who is it that's actually like pulling the strings with a lot of the stuff that's going on. Like obviously there's, a, there's at least three big evil corporations that may or may not be the same corporation. Those and it's, sort of it's, thing. it's where season two started to get confusing. Season three starts to clear some of the stuff up. And in fact, they've found the secret code that will may in fact cure them. Whereas the male clones are going around trying to kill with their own leader, uh, trying to kill anyone they can to get their cure, uh, which is basically finding the first the person who had the genetic material that all the clones came from tracking them down hmm. so that they can be cured of the thing that's making them die, but they die even more spectacularly. They die having they explode? kind of going crazy. There's, they do like a, a Voight comp test for them to see if they're losing it, you know, from Blade Runner, yeah. a little eye thing asking them, you know, uh, do you turn the turtle over? over? Why don't you turn the turtle over? <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, and, and this moves a lot faster than the second season did. It's really gotten a lot of the exposition out of the way now, so they're just having a lot more fun. And it ends with a real big, wait, what moment where you're like, I think they just shifted the entire what's actually going on plot of the series and added an entirely new genre element to it. We'll see. It's very, like, ambiguous. Like, wait, what is that? Uh, but I can't say, obviously, what it is because that would ruin everything. It would. But, but basically it takes place in New Heart. Uh, <laughs> did the whole thing and they, they wake up in bed with Bob Newhart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, oh, I had the worst dream, Tatiana and, Maslany's. And, and there's so many of you. <laughs> uh, there is one really irritating thing about this season that uh, the clone that is uh, th- the uh, sort of housewifey clone, I think it's Allison is her name, They just to give her something to do, they write up this plot where for and I'm I swear to God I could not tell why. First off, she's decided she wants to run for the like local town council versus this like nasty bitch who's been doing it because, who wants to redistrict stuff. I don't know. It's really dull. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> but in order to fund her campaign and to basically make people where they kind of have to vote for, her, she buys the the drug business, the pill business of this local teenager in town who supplies all these housewives with their, you know, Vicodin and shit. Oh, I see. Uh, to, to uh, like, you know, make it where, oh, now you have to vote for her because she's your drug dealer. I was like, that's pretty crazy far-fetched. <laughs> I have a hard time believing, especially this housewifey character would do that. Uh, although it does come to a rather spectacular and bloody end with the help of the crazy, uh, what's her name, Helena, I think, the, the Russian blonde clone. But, um, yeah, ultimately, or uh, from Black Season 3, definitely worth your time. If you kind of were fading out like I was in Season 2 a bit, go back and indulge in Season 3. It takes an episode or two to really get going, but once it does, it's back on track. And like I said, it'll be real interesting to see where Season 4 is going to go, because I'll tell you right now, I have no fucking idea <laughs> what they're going to do with that. Crazy stuff. Uh, last one we're going to talk about here for TV is another one that I saw that, that Joe did not see because he had such a stack I handed him this week. I didn't want to <laughs> give him everything, which was The Comeback. This it was an HBO show, a comedy drama series with Lisa Kudrow, who plays a sitcom actress, Valerie Cherish, in L.A. And it was actually created by Kudrow and Michael uh, Patrick King, who worked on Sex in the City. 
Uh, she she wrote a lot of these episodes herself, and it's the idea is is that she's an actress who had a big show. You might you know it was, what pretend it was Friends, <laughs> and she's been her career has been idle for several years now, and she gets a chance to go on another to be on another sitcom, but it's really awful, and uh, she has been reduced from being one of the main characters to being Aunt Sassy who lives upstairs and comes down and makes <laughs> jokes about her being old and ugly which does not please her being a really vain Hollywood actress mm-hmm. uh, and at the same time she's agreed to do a uh, reality series about called The Comeback where their fi- film crew following her around everywhere as she's you know trying to regain her star status and the thing about this is, and, all right, so the first season came out like nine years ago and was canceled, not because of well, because of low ratings, but the critics loved it. And over time, apparently, it's become kind of a, a cult hit. Like, oh, okay. I was asking HBO, when are you going to release the comeback? So they ended up doing a new season this year, uh, at which they're continuing on doing another one. So this set comes with the original uh, uh, first season that came out and the new season that, that just came out. Uh, and I gotta say, Lisa Kudrow really finds the exact right balance here of being like this sort of spacey, older, slightly older LA actress who is really the vain is the wrong word. Insecure would be a better word. I mean, she is vain, but that makes it sound ugly. Ultimately, especially in the first season, you actually do like her. She's just so incredibly uncool. You know, she's one of those people. She always thinks she's cool, and she's like the most uncool. So person So she, she's like had. Lady Kenny Powers. Uh, I don't. You know, I've never actually watched that show. So Eastbound and Eastbound and Down. Mm-hmm. Is that it? I always start thinking of the song Eastbound and Down. Loaded up and trucking. <laughs> well, Lisa Kudrow is interesting in that I've, uh, you know, like uh, what was the opposite of sex and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I've always felt like she should be more utilized by Hollywood, and I don't know why she isn't. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I think she's wonderful. She had another show on HBO that just got canceled after three seasons as well. <laughs> but yeah, opposite of sex, such a good movie. But some of the interest, a lot of the interesting things in here come from the side cast. Like Melon Ackerman, one of her very early roles here was playing like you know just cast really in her first, in literally her first ever acting role, who is becomes the lead character on the show that the you know the world falls in love with, and she actually has a a, a very positive, strong relationship with with uh, uh, Valerie Cherish, you know where they have sort of a mother daughter dynamic going on, even though Melon's kind of dumb. In fact, all the kids who are the, the actual cast members on the show with her are all sweet, very nice, but just dumb as a board. Uh, and she tries to kind of like gather them and mother them and take care of them. And every other character, with the exception of like her best friend, who is a, a, a wildly gay hairdre- older hairdre- hairdresser, and uh, her husband, who is just this poor beleaguered guy, is like, seriously, you're going to put a camera in the bedroom? That kind of guy. Everybody else is a complete prick. You know, they're really playing up the sort of like these people are insecure and vain in Hollywood because that's the atmosphere, that's the environment. It's cutthroat, and if you aren't a certain way, if you're too nice, they're going to eat you. Yeah, uh, and everyone else is that guy, especially the head writer of the show, who is just the world's biggest douchebag. Well, what I love about the, the entertainment world is you, you've got two motivations for being so cutthroat. One being, uh, you know, got to make the money; credit's no good. Uh, and the second being like. But if people don't uh, send me affirmations that they love me, then I'm not a real person. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? What's the thing is like you feel bad for her, like because she really does try to be nice to everyone in an environment where, like, 
only the very young appreciate it at all. Right. And everyone else just looks at her like she's weak and pathetic for even <laughs> being that way. And you really do want to punch half the characters in the show in the face. But the thing is, and the thing is, like, this is not, like, this show at first, I was, like, having trouble getting into it. It took me several episodes to start seeing what it was doing. And how clever it ultimately is about what it's saying about Hollywood. And it comes to a really satisfying ending. Uh, And then the second season, they did this strange, well, like, basically, she gets all mad because finds out the total douchebag writer from the show. Turns out he was a junkie the whole time uh, and was, you know, even more pathetic for that. And since he's quit and he wrote a book called Seeing Red about his experiences on the show where she is basically the villain. You know, (laughs) even though we watched this, we're like, no, she was clearly not the villain. You were... And she goes into HBO to have a fit about it, and they're like, how would you feel about actually starring as you in the show? And then, you know, she immediately turns around because it's a big, pro- high-profile acting role. Like, yeah. okay, I'll do that. Uh, which is a pretty funny meta situation to be in, uh, the whole story curling back in on itself. And there's some really good stuff in the second season as, as well. I will say they kind of gave her a little bit of a nasty edge in the second season that she didn't have in the first season that made her a little less sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, d- I was like, why would you do that? I don't understand. But maybe it's just because television in general has evolved to its having more negative character, like protagonists in yeah, it. Yeah, the, the flawed protagonist. But I do think this is worth watching. I mean, obviously you can tell by what I've said about it so far, whether or not it sounds like your type of show. I do think it's really worth a look. I certainly really enjoyed it uh, by the time I got all the way through it. So, there you go. All right, well, let's move on to the films and start about talking about the film I know you all have been dying to hear about. The most anticipated film to be released on home video this year, Lake Placid versus Anaconda. <laughs> Yay! No, no. There's no reason why you should you should shy away from this movie. No, no. I can think of a few reasons. Oh, and no. I, I you're probably misidentifying strengths. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> go ahead then. By okay. all means. So you, you've always wanted a franchise crossover, like your Freddy's versus your Jason, sure. or or your uh, peanut butter versus jellies. Uh, and this technically, that's a buddy cop film, but mm, yeah, and until the second one, then it got yeah. weird. Uh, but I don't know. Like, there's there's some clear intent of like, okay, we're gonna do Anaconda versus Lake Placid, but there's a whole lot of. I think you guys just made a shitty movie, and then you tacked this title on afterwards. <laughs> so this is definitely. It's not even a grudge watch movie. This is a uh, bust out some some like prosecco and and orange juice and have mimosas while you make fun of this sort of thing. <laughs> uh, everything about it is just amazingly subpar. And that is where the enjoyment for me came from. Uh, the basic setup, uh, evil corporation wants to make hybrid something that involves gigantic snakes and, and crocodiles. Gigantic crocodiles. Yes, gigantic the, crocodiles. Yeah, with the weird title, like, you guys know the crocodile was not called Lake Placid, right? Yeah. <laughs> the- so, so yeah, evil corporation does something, something messes up, and... and uh, Really slow, doesn't go anywhere. Subplot about sorority girls. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then go. Yeah, and and reintroduce Robert England, who believe it or not is a continuing character from the Lake Placid series. Yeah, uh, England um, really feels kind of forced and uh, put in in very teeny tiny amounts. He's he's a, a sprinkling of he's a dollop. He's a dollop of a character in this. Uh, 
but it's fun to see him. The real star for me was uh, having uh, Parker Lewis as basically the hero or, or the male hero. Y- Yancey Butler is that who? That? No, 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 no. Yancey, was, Yancey. She was in Lake Placid Three. You're right. She uh, was in what? Lake Placid Three. Yeah, and she was also. Uh, oh God, she was the. There was a. Uh, fuck. What is that comic book company that just makes like books with like demons and devils that are all girls with barely any clothing on one or Witchblade. Okay. Yeah, she was in the, yes, yes, she she was was in the Witchblade, Witchblade yeah. television series. Yeah. Um, Corin Nemec is the guy we're thinking of who played Parker Lewis in yes. Park, mm-hmm. Parker Lewis Can't yeah. Lose, who I was like, who is that guy? Well, it was so weird. His, his career track was awkward in that uh, Parker Lewis really set him up so that he could be a commodity. Like, yeah. Fresh off Parker Lewis, he was in the ABC The Stand miniseries. He was. Uh, and then he did a few other things, and then he just uh, took the dog shit route of, of acting. And yeah. It did not work out for him. It did not. And you can, and I, I think it's very evident on his face in this movie of... How, how did I get here? Yep. Yeah, this is an embarrassment of a film. The CG is so... Didn't even try. Oh yeah, but that's not that's not even the best worst part. The best worst part is I'm I would be conservative if I said it was sixty five percent ADR, uh huh, and bad ADR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, there's just there's really nothing good about this film. In fact, it may be that level of so bad that I'm not even sure I could recommend it for a bad good watch. I did the one thing that made me laugh. I was watching it with my girlfriend, and I was like, "Is it just me, or does Yancey Butler constantly look like she just smelled someone fart?" Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like the yeah. whole time she always has this look like one raised eyebrow and a scowl looking to the side, and you're like, "That dude just farted." And and I would I would uh, argue that she is uh, slightly psychopathic because she she overreacts to everything yes. poorly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to say the least. Uh, but also. Bras in this movie, for some reason, they couldn't figure out how to get a well-fitting bra. So there was all these boob monsters all over the place. Oh my god, they're like the most. Like I don't mind seeing boobs in a movie. I like boobs. I like a good-looking girl, but it's the most pathetic excuses for like nudity sequences. Yeah, but but when they actually are wearing a bra, it's totally wrong for all of them. Yeah, (laughs) it's fantastic. They mixed it up in costuming. I don't know. I think you can avoid like Placid versus Anaconda personally, and I think you should Robo Trip and watch this. Uh, Okay, either way, I would rather watch that again though than Inner Demons. Frankly, oh man, it was so clever. Next film, the. Latest in a series of direct-to-video releases with a girl getting possessed, uh, shot as a uh, found-footage film. There's like 18 of these or Mm -hmm. something that just came out in the last two years, and they're all fucking terrible. Uh, This one, Inner Demon, stars uh, Laura Vosberg as Carson Morris. She is a used to be like a really good kid, straight A kid, uh, but her parents have contacted this this film company that do. Basically, like it's like rehab rehab movies to inspire people. You know, hey, if you have problems, come. We can get or, you help. Or like stuff. like a, the TLC rehab or yeah. uh, my strange addiction. Or right. Something it's like never that. clear if they actually work for some scummy television network that does this or really do make these type of films. But mm-hmm. either way, the people doing it are kind of scummy. Uh, except for the one new guy who's the sweet guy who genuinely seems to care about this poor girl who is really addicted to drugs. She's all gothed out and everything, and quite frankly, kind of hot. Oh, well, goth uh, equals drugs. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. They actually have that on, on like, religious literature now. Like, oh, if your kid is goth, they're into drugs and Satan. And it's like, really? 
like because I knew lots of goths who were straight edge and vegetarian. Yep. So I don't know. We weren't really into Satan aside from a character in movies. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I I don't think we're spoiling it. That the the really clever part is her inner demons aren't addiction. They're actually inner. Is actually a demon. Oh. And uh, it goes on to do absolutely nothing you wouldn't expect. For so long. Yeah, it just... Uh, the only thing I'll hand them at all that was interesting is the very, very, very end had a couple, oh, shit! That was that moments. was fantastic. I told a friend of mine, I was like, if you want to watch this, because he's a huge horror fan, I was like, just watch the last five minutes. Yeah, That's it, the, all like, the last five minutes, like, wow, that was... That was super bloody and unexpected. I was like, oh, hats off. But then you've got to sit through the whole rest of a movie that you've already seen 18 times. Yep. Yeah, with nothing interesting to recommend it at all. Uh, I don't know. You know, I I think this is, I think IFC put this out. Yeah. Which is strange because IFC usually picks horror films to release that are a little more clever than this. Yeah, th- I, th- it kind of felt like they just had extra money in the budget. And they're yeah, like, eh, fuck screw it, it, we'll just put this one out. Somebody will watch it. This is a red box <laughs> movie all the way, definitely. Uh, okay, let me see, we didn't have any more horror, so instead we'll just go to Snow Girl and the Dark Crystal, AKA- the sequel to Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal. Yeah, not. or uh, my subtitle is It Broke My Heart. It Broke Your Heart? Why It Broke Your Heart? Because... It, given a budget, this could have been a good, good, visually oh, yeah. pleasing movie. Oh, yeah. And That's the problem, is that it looks ridiculous. It looks like it was made in 1990. Well, what was weird was, initially, the CG is like, oh, it's a little too, that's not too bad. I don't I don't see what everybody's complaining about. But then there's a, it just takes a sharp turn and everything goes to crap town. Yeah. Uh, why don't you talk about what this is about? Okay, so uh, <laughs> it's Chinese and rather uh, involved, but it boils down to boy falls in love with, with demon. Turns out boy is demon, and his uh, his mentor is actually fucking him over hardcore. Wow, because spoilers. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, that's a pretty common trope in, in Chinese literature. Yeah, it's true, but not everyone is as familiar with Chinese literature. As well, there, there's other stuff that I haven't given away that I think is actually the, the interesting part of how they handle it. The thing is, is, I agree with you. This could have been a pretty good film if they had actually spent any reasonable amount of money on the special effects. Instead, they're so ridiculously clunky. I mean, I am not being, you know, uh, a snob about this at all. Any movie that is this CG heavy needs to at least be passable. Yeah, this is like Dreamcast level graphics. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, you're right. It's like we're talking 80s, not (laughs) 90s. Um, It's an embarrassment how bad they are for a film that otherwise is interestingly conceived. Mm -hmm. The costuming is all really fucking cool, especially the girl who plays uh, Snow Girl, who is the the you know the one who is a demon. Uh, Her outfits are just incredible, super elaborate, beautiful. She's just gorgeous, Uh, and a lot of just the ideas of the design are really cool. That I go, man, I would totally be all over the shit if you had bothered to pay someone to do the CG part. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I was, I was looking it up, and it made two hundred thousand here, uh, and it cost twenty eight million to make. But in China, it made sixty million. So, yeah. So the producers are happy with it. They're, I guess double your budget is not generally considered a big success, though. No, but it's it's enough to that they got their return. So, 
Yeah, true. Yeah, I guess it made uh, 64.47 uh, million in China. It cost 30 million here. So I, slightly twice its budget back. Yeah, so basically what I'm saying is it made me sad in that regard because then they didn't learn a lesson. Yeah, and it's weird that it even cost $30 million. Right. I'm like, where did that money go? I mean, most of it is really just like there's huge battle scenes. They're like, okay, so you spent it on like explosives and wires to make stuff pop open when yeah. your CG, crappy looking CG guys would pop out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the, there's a Kirin in this, uh, which is a uh, you know mythological Asian uh, beast that w- almost looked really cool. <laughs> yeah, but but because they didn't they didn't do enough, uh, it just turned out looking really hokey. I think this is really going to only be of interest to Americans who are super obsessed with uh, Chinese mythology, specifically who are like pick out the mythological element that has been sandwiched into the story mm-hmm. or traditional bit of Chinese lore that's yeah. written into it. Uh, it's just a shame. This is a film I hope maybe 10 years from now someone with a proper sensibility goes back and remakes it and, and the film it could have been. Yeah. Because this, this just is worth skipping pretty much. Sorry. <laughs> it's so weird. That happens so much with Chinese films, too. Yeah. Although a lot contender. of these big fantasy epics are just boring. And this one's not boring. It wasn't. No. It just looks like shit. <laughs> uh, what is boring, though, is Barely Lethal, a 2014 action comedy, I say that in quotes, uh, film that is a Haley Steinfeld, uh, Steinfeld um, vehicle. You know, this woman who, like, what, didn't she win uh, the uh, Oscar for Best Actress? Did she? I think she did, for True Grit. Oh, is that who that is? Yeah, that's a little girl. I don't oh. remember if she won. She may have just been nominated. I can't remember. Uh, she was nominated for an Academy Award okay. and for a Screen Actors Guild Award and a BAFTA Award for best all these her best actress in a leading role. Uh, she was really good as Petra in Ender's Game as well. Uh, you know, and here... She looks like she might as well just be yet another Disney actress. That's what I thought. I didn't. I didn't really put the two together. Nothing about her comes off as special or talented or in charming. Any way or in this film that involves a uh, a assassin school run by Samuel L. Jackson, who she's the top student from. Who you know her her big enemy is Sophie Turner uh, from Game of Thrones, who's like the second best. Uh, but when she is on a mission and is presumed dead, she's like, well, look, I actually just want to see what being a normal teen girl is about. So she fakes an identity and becomes a foreign exchange student at this high school living with this family so she can just go and be a student and finds that high school is actually more difficult than she thought it was Don't forget, be. she's a Canadian foreign exchange student, so she doesn't have to fake an accent. Yeah, I, I, that was like this big telling moment where you're like, hmm... Uh, although I guess we should be grateful ultimately. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but everything is shook up when the woman who she captured on her last mission escapes, played by Jessica Alba, who is the I've never seen an actress so not into a part. Oh yeah, as Jessica Alba is here, like really sleepwalking through this thing. Like you do know you're the villain, right? Well, you, you, I feel even Sam, okay. This this movie was uh, for me. It was Jessica had to make a mortgage payment. And Samuel L. Jackson just loves being in movies. Yeah, he's just being Samuel L. Jackson, as he does, yelling at everybody. I do it for craft services. (laughs) There's this is another one of those ones that, like, I would say it was a Disney film, except there are party scenes where they drink excessively. These high school teens, and you're like, 
I don't get it. Did you really not know what you were making here? Because well, it felt yeah. like this would have been something you could have sold to the Disney Channel. That was my big question. Was who is this meant for? Who is the audience on this? Yeah, thing? They make this big thing out of like, oh no, I've never actually killed anybody. You know, uh, they trained me to, but I've never actually done it. Okay, total Disney element, right? Right. Okay, that's safe. Uh, but then they have, like I said, they all get drunk and party with no repercussions. Well, and Rachel Harris is the mom, yeah. and she thinks that they're talking about uh, fucking uh, when they're actually talking about killing. But she seems totally cool with that. And then later, she's like, anything that you do to my girls, I'm going to do to you. So it's just like, yeah. so, well, do you want them Who to? Who are you making this for? Yeah. The only person I thought really was interesting at all in this was, in fact, Sophie Turner, uh, who, if anything, we see her play this very put-upon, quiet mousy woman in Game of Thrones and here she's like has turned into a beautiful woman. Yeah, like, no, and, and she's very strong and self-assured and I was like, oh, she's going to be fine as Jean Grey. Yeah, I thought she actually showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there was nothing true. to do with her role, but no, she showed up. they give her very little to do, but you're like, oh, you're standing up straight. <laughs> That's nice to see. Actually made me feel a little more comforted about her playing Jean Grey, which is obviously a very different role than what she plays on Game of Thrones. Right. So uh, ultimately, barely lethal. I think we reviewed the trailer uh, for this at one point and said, well, you never know. Well, now we know. Yeah. It stinks. It's a lot of stinkers this week. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, so let's skip to one that uh, that is... Oh, I should have done this with TV, actually, but uh, I really found this a gigantic disappointment. This is the J.K. Rowling other book. <laughs> oh, I, I've been informed uh, that we're supposed to say rolling. Like rolling? Bowling. Roll, yes. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Mm-hmm. Keep, Keep the J.K. Ro- rolling. Exactly. Hopefully she'll drop the shit and write more Harry Potter. Uh, the Casual Vacancy, which is a three-part miniseries based on the book that she wrote, of the really le- least interesting story I may have ever seen about a small British town. Oh, yeah. The Vacancy, I assume, referred to cohesion of story. Yeah. The, and like when it ends, I was like, is there another disc? Am I yeah. missing something? What's, what's going on here? Uh, it centers on this town called Pagford, this little English village. It's just charming. Uh, and... It's actually this. There's a fight between the rich and the poor, and there's a main character. Uh, uh, God, what is his name? Is it Barry? Who's the guy who uh, starts as the main character? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And uh, he's like fighting to save this an ancestral castle that has been turned into a basically a place to help the poor mm-hmm. and the homeless and drug addicted. And yeah, that was that was real weird how it started off so strong with that. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, where he's fighting versus other fi- family members led by Michael Gambon, who want to turn it into like a for-profit spa, but the thing is the guy who originally who made all this money founded the town and built this thing. It specifically left it for it to be for the purpose it's being used for. Yeah. But this is turns into a, like you know, oh yeah, rich versus poor thing. The thing is, he dies at the end of the first episode, and there's like a little brief thing where you like you think they're going to do a deal where he's going to be the narrator for the whole rest of the show because they briefly have him come in as the yeah, narrator, and then no. they just don't do that again. And you're like, why did you even do that if it wasn't going to become the tactic for the whole rest of the thing? Well, I was I was wondering, is, is this meant to be quirky funny? I don't know. Because it tries kind of, like uh, Christopher Plummer, who I'm never going to say no to him. Yeah. He, he brought about this kind of ridiculous... Christopher ridic- Plummer? Was he in this? Oh, you mean maybe- Michael Gambon? 
Yeah, uh, the, the, the the bad guy. The, yeah, the older guy. Yeah, Michael Gambon. Oh god, I just thought he was Christopher Plummer. <laughs> he was, uh, I believe, he's the guy who took over uh, uh, Dumbledore in the Harry Potter. Okay, films. yeah, but but he he brought the, this this kind of ridiculous aspect to the character that I think if they had run with it would have really worked. There's but, there's hints of possible interesting absurdity. Yeah, and then it just never actually materializes. But it's a, it's it's tragic comic, you know, with the with more of the tragic in a way that never has any real feeling of impact Mm-mm. when you're watching. I mean, it really just ends with a sort of unnecessary death that really feels like, what? Seriously? That was kind of silly and pointless in the grand scheme of things. Right. And the running plot where all these people are running for this new position on the council oh, and yes. whoever gets it will decide whether or not like the thing gets turned into a spa or a uh, uh, stay as it is. That it could not be more dull. Oh, the council the council seat was definitely the MacGuffin of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, I can't I, I love I love Harry Potter. I'm a huge fan of Potter. I'm a huge fan of J.K. Rowling. That's right. Uh, who I think is one of the coolest rich people in the world. She's given away over half her fortune to charity. She spends her weekends reading at school at like underprivileged schools. For yeah, students. but she's doing that just to prove that she can read. <laughs> you she, think she bragging? She's just vain. She's like Valerie Cherish in the comeback. Yeah, I was I was so perplexed by this piece of shit that that uh, you know I, I did a fair amount of reading, and apparently Rowling said, "Hey guys, change what you need. That's cool." And so they did. I guess she just didn't care that much about it. And I guess. This book got very lukewarm reviews as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, I can't remember what it is. She actually wrote another book that came out very shortly, either before or after this, under a pseudonym. Yep. That ended up getting great reviews. That was, apparently was really, really strong. Uh, I have not actually read that one. Um, I believe, oh, yeah, she under the name uh, Robin Galbraith, uh, The Cuckoo's Calling, and then Since the Silkworm, which apparently are pretty good. But uh, maybe part of the reason they got better... Uh, I was thinking at first, ah, they're just getting better reviews because no one was expecting them to be like... you know They didn't have a bar to hold it up right. to. And uh, no, now I, that I've seen the casual vacancy, I can say, no, this just kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should probably skip it. Uh, I have very mixed feelings about our next title, which is The Salvation. Ooh, I didn't. Uh, well, see, the thing is, I do like it. But I think that it's so trapped in Western genre conventions and cliche mm-hmm. that even though they're well done there's a point it's like yeah 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 I did want a good vehicle for uh, Mads Mikkelsen well we gotta lo- you gotta love your Mads Mikkelsen right but <laughs> he's my Hannibal I don't care what anybody says uh I, but you know the moment you see it's also got Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the villain you're like oh so this wasn't a hugely budgeted thing, was it? Uh, it's, this is 1870s America. Mads Mikkelsen plays a Danish settler who's already been there for a couple years. He's finally got enough money to get his wife and kid over there. And sure enough, almost first thing, they end up getting murdered by some people. Well, he goes, and with the help of his brother, who lives there as well, goes and kills the shit out of the guys who killed them. But uh-oh, Turns out that one of those guys was the brother of Jeffrey Dean Morton Morgan playing Delarue. There's a Western bad guy name, if there ever was one, who is a gang leader and land baron who's got all these connections to people who are trying to buy up the land for oil, even though that's barely a plot point. Right. Yeah. yeah no. I mean, it's basically the the it's the the rape revenge movie, and then it's also 
a uh, bit of seven, seven Samurai, where where the, the the bandit gang is actually feared and controls the town. Right. And- uh, uh, yeah. There's this. We've definitely seen elements of this in so many other westerns. Uh, uh, Eva Green plays uh, the widow of the guy who who. Uh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen is killed. Who has ha- who was captured by Indians at one point and had her tongue cut out. Uh, her I liked. She's the best thing, except for Mads Mikkelsen. The best thing about this movie, mm-hmm. I think, she's so intense without ever saying a word. Yes, and I actually really like what happens with her at the end of this film as well. Where you're like, I would totally watch what happens next with these characters. Yeah, you know, I yeah. would love to see another movie where like the further adventures <laughs> of, of Hannibal and No Tongue, and then they <laughs> Briscoe County Junior. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I don't think he's awful, but he's also not putting a huge amount of effort into this. He's just kind of, it's a very, like a lot of people would be mustache twirling, and he's not. But he plays it like he's always half-lidded and just kind of, like almost like he just woke up from a nap type of yeah. thing. But I, I would say from a writing perspective, all the motivations for the actions that were taken in this, mm-hmm. just so hackneyed that he probably read and was like, well, is that check going to clear? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I guess part of it was that, like, we knew why he was doing stuff, like, for the company to make all this money. But at one point, they're like, they say, oh, but he used to be such a good man. Explore okay, that, maybe? But maybe explore that a little bit. Maybe give him some shades of gray. Yeah. But instead, that's all we ever get. And he ends up not being that interesting of a villain. Like I said, Eva Green's a much more interesting character on the bad guy side of things. Uh, Jonathan Price from Brazil has a role as the mayor of this town who's definitely split between being a coward and and uh, uh, try, wishing that he willing to do anything to get rid of Delarue. Yeah. But I think this is a good movie. It's just not a great movie, and it could have been. And a part of it is after having seen Slow West, which I thought was significantly better Western than this from, I guess, three weeks ago when we yeah. reviewed that. That was a big part why I didn't enjoy this as much as I, I maybe should have. I, I, I think left to its own devices, I would have hated this movie anyway. Yeah? Yeah. I just it did not click for me, and it's okay. partially because I do love westerns and, yeah. and a good little revenge flick. And uh. yeah, it, it goes on too long with a middle section where they've captured Mads Mikkelsen and are just kind of holding him and torturing mm-hmm. him. It's like, yeah, let's get past this and back to like we kind of want to see our hero doing heroic stuff and not just tied <laughs> to a post for half the movie. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the Salvation. You see for yourself, a lot of people really did like this movie. It got a lot of good reviews from some critics, but. I definitely fell somewhere in the middle on it. Not the best thing we saw this week. It was no barely lethal. Uh, as well, another movie I kind of fall in the middle of, but liked more than that, was Child 44. Uh, now, this got a lot of criticism for having... Th- this is a complaint I still don't completely understand. People think it's almost racist to have a film where it takes place in another country with a specific accent, uh, and all the actors speak in English but do the accent. Yeah, what's wrong with that? I don't understand what's wrong with that. If you have a film that takes place in Louisiana and your actors are Australian, do you think it's racist if they take a Louisiana accent? Yeah, yeah, Thor. I just don't understand that at all. But man, negative reviews were like really harping on that. And I'm like, I really think the accents were actually pretty good across the board with these they actors. They were fine. Here. Like, they were definitely calibrated. Yeah, I mean, so. like, especially Tom Hardy, who nailed the Slavic accent here. You never for a second doubt that he is not, in fact, a guy living in Russia. Uh, and this was based on a very popular novel that's actually the first one in a trilogy, but this film 
debuted to such bad reviews, which I find surprising, uh, that they're never going to make the sequels, at least not in this series. No Child 45 and Child 46? Yeah. Uh, but basically it's during Stalin ruling the Soviet Union in the early 1950s, and uh, Tom Hardy, who was a war hero, uh, is now you know a member of the, the KGB, or the MGB, sorry, uh, who... Basically figures out that there are there's a child murderer running around. The problem in Stalin's Russia, they say, no, there are no criminals in Russia. Yeah, it's like a, we are perfect society. We do not we do not have criminals here, which is like the most bizarrely naive like thing that you could have as a state line. Well, know? especially since he was a part of the secret police, like well, then take care of it secretly. Yeah, the only criminals are people who aren't truly Russians who are who are trying to overthrow the system, which right. is pretty much anybody who cocks an eyebrow at something that happens. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I missed a beat. Why did they want him to renounce his wife as a traitor? Uh, because, okay, so what happened is Joel Kinnaman plays another guy on the MGB who basically is always like passed over for everything in yeah. favor of Tom Hardy, who's just much better at what Who he is does. the Wonder Child, yeah. Yeah, who's really good at this, and in fact, who stops Kinnaman from murdering an entire family at one point, uh, who have who had harbored a dissident who was a member of their family. Uh, you know, he's a psycho, and it humiliates him in front of all the men over this, you know. It's like, dude, you just murdered the fucking parents in front of the children we are about to kill the children. You're Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and and what seems to be revenge, he sets it up so that uh, Tom Hardy's wife, played by Numi Rapace, is uh, looks to be a new dissident. And here, pretty much, you look like a, there's a suspicion you're a dissident, you're a dissident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of his position and being highly thought of, they basically say, okay, instead of putting you both in the gulag, you're going to be demoted and sent out to this town in the middle of fucking nowhere, where Gary Oldman, yay, Gary Oldman, plays a general ruling this town, who slowly comes around to the understanding uh, that 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 uh, Tom Hardy is giving him that yes, there is a really prolific child murderer running up and killing kids off this railroad track, and they re- realize even though it's going to put their careers and their lives in total danger, like very specific danger, they're going to figure out how to stop this, and that's a really interesting premise. Mm-hmm. It's like. The state doesn't want you to investigate a child serial killer because that would admit that there is such a thing as serial killers, uh, and y- yet they're willing to put everything on the line. Well, but it makes sense. They don't have gay people in Russia. <laughs> yeah, you see that thing. Tilda Swinton went there and opened up a flag in, in Red Square, like uh-uh. a gay flag, nice. took pictures, and they're like, yeah, come get me, bitches. <laughs> uh, I thought at its worst, this movie at 137 minutes is definitely too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I can't deny that it goes on too long, but a lot of the accusations that they didn't feel any tension or anything, I don't get that. I thought this was actually pretty tense through a lot of it. Mm, I can see where they were saying there was not any tension. Uh, I don't think that really mattered too much. Yeah. Uh, I was I was I was just more into watching it, and what really impressed me was uh, visually, it <laughs> it felt oppressive. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like you, you definitely got that weight of the of the curtain. Oh, so, most definitely. Yeah, I was I was very impressed. You're with more that. scared by the your government, government. <laughs> yeah. than you were by the serial killer, mm-hmm. which was definitely the the idea. Yeah, because there's never a point where it's a a game where like the serial killer is stalking them in return or something. You yeah, know? Uh, that's not it's not that kind of movie. Uh, 
it's just the, their stalkers that any second they might be caught and thrown in jail by their own government, probably just straight up shot in the head. Yep. Uh, and this has other good people in it, like Patty Considine, uh, Jason Clark, Vincent Cassell. Uh, it, you know, it's a solid cast. It's a solid made film. It's made by Daniel Espinosa, uh, directed by Daniel Espinosa, who did uh, Easy Money and Safe House, uh, two movies that I actually liked. <laughs> I I thought this is a decent film that got an unfair unfair bash. It's not great, but it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fine. Yeah, uh, it's just too long. It's <laughs> ultimately the problem. Uh, these critics today, they're like, I don't have time for all that shit. Well, what do you get paid for? Well, for watching shit. Mm, okay. <laughs> Uh, another film that I think may have gotten a little bit of a short shrift was Every Secret Thing. This is a uh, last year crime film directed by Amy G. J. Berg, based on the novel of the same name, written by Laura Lipman, uh, to apparently some level of acclaim. And uh, the idea here is that these two girls, young girls, they don't really like each other but are kind of forced together by their parents to hang out one's kind of a fat girl who's really arrogant and kind of a bitch yeah uh and the other one's a little skinny girl who's clearly got some degree of psychological problems and you don't actually see anything but it just kind of flashes to during the credits oh these girls kidnapped a baby off, off a porch and killed it mm-hmm. and both went to juvie for quite some time. So then the movie picks up years and years and years later, where now we've got Dakota Fanning as the little skinny troubled girl, uh, and um, oh, what is the name of the other uh, other one? Uh, and the other one. And the other one. Daniel McDonald is a relative newcomer who has gotten much fatter and much more obnoxious yeah. as the other one. And, yeah, prison had the opposite effect on her. <laughs> and now there's another baby missing in this town shortly after they've gotten out, and of course... All eyes are pointed at, are looking at them. Right. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, who was the dete- plays the detective who had originally found the the, the baby in the uh, in the first with well, the first time it on happened, a hunch. and got yeah on a hunch and got promoted and like well known, and now she's in charge of trying to figure out what's going on with that. And uh, Common playing a really weirdly small role here. Yeah, well, the dad I was happy to the, see him. Of the, the, you know, not dad, but boyfriend of the mom of the new abducted baby. But you're like, yeah, I would, I would say common? dad. Yeah, maybe not biological father. Yeah, not but. biological father. But um, I, I do think this is interesting, mainly for the what's going on with the two girls. I mean, this is their movie, no question. Yeah. Much more so the newcomer, Danielle McDonald, yes. who uh, definitely gives a really strong performance here. But... It's hard to enjoy her because she's so thoroughly despicable at all times in this film. Yeah, that's why I enjoyed her. <laughs> I think if there's a problem with the film in and of itself, it's that it tries to uh, make the answer misty. But you it's really, clear. It's, it's very super clear, clear. Uh, and partially because I think some of the the performances are on both her parts are overplaying it for what the ultimate solution is. It is an interesting film. As we're seeing, Dakota Fanning, once again, really good as well. I would have liked to have seen more of her in this for a character who's like, yeah. like one of the two suspects. She's just not in it that much. Uh, but, yeah, Every Secret Thing is... is uh, you can see why it's largely skipped theaters. You know, it's mm-hmm. not that gripping overall, but oh. it does have the strong performances and an interesting story where I go... I can see why they thought from reading the book version of this that this would be, be a good super movie. yeah super yeah. compelling yeah 
All right, uh, so let's move on to a two-part of uh, chick flicks in the past and start with oh. maybe the most dull adaptation of a classic novel I've ever seen. It was Madame horrific. Bovary, or they should call it Just for People with Ovaries. Uh, no, I, I think that's, that's unfair think that to either. ovaries. No. Yeah, Mia uh, Wasikowska, I'm probably Wasikowska, Wasikowska, I think, uh, plays uh, Emma. Or Madame Bovary, who is starts as a teenage girl, and uh, she's gone into an arranged marriage with a country doctor played by Henry Lloyd Hughes. And at first, she's like, "Okay, this is what you know. This is how it it happens. This yeah, is a good, good arranged. This is a decent arranged marriage." But soon, she gets really bored and uninterested, and starts fucking lots of people. Everybody. Uh, and I think, <laughs> you know. I watch this, and I'm not sure if we're supposed to have any sympathy for her or not. But no, yeah, it's, my it's, feeling is fuck her. I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but well, it's, <laughs> you know, it's it, it happens. Uh, uh, you know, I I know I've said this many times before in what we've watched, but it's another uh, uh, a, a folly of riches. Like she's got so yeah. many opportunities. Uh, um, everything fell flat. She she was definitely the most flat thing about it. Yeah, and she's normally a pretty good actress. And here it was like, wow, I don't really think that you are capturing at all why, I guess, presumably she's an interesting character in the yes, book. Yes, I mean, there's a reason why this book has been talked about for so long. I mean, a lot of people, it's been called repeatedly the greatest novel ever written. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But that had a lot more to do with Flaubert's writing style, which apparently is exquisite. But I'm reading a lot about this and the multiple adaptations that have been made of Madame Bovary and seen none of them were greeted with much acclaim. Yeah. Pretty much all saying, look, this just isn't a book that translates to film. It's mm-hmm. a super simplistic story and it's really about how it's written, written and the subtext within that making statements about society and you know wanting for too much leads to destruction. Well, like her her husband is not an ogre by any means. No, no, he's actually a sweet guy. He's a naive guy, but he's sweet. Ezra Miller, who I really who was in uh, the uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, is here playing one of the the, the, the love interests, and he is. Like he looks like he did no preparation for this role. Was, at all. was he Baby Keanu Reeves? Which one was yes, Baby? Yes, Ke- uh, okay. yes, that was Baby Keanu Reeves. Uh, Paul Giamatti uh, is in this. Reese Ifans playing a sort of like nefarious capitalist door to door salesman guy who is just who's trying to chew the scenery, and you're like, why? Yeah, your character yeah, doesn't call it, for that. <laughs> in fact, it would be more. It would make more sense and feel less out of place if you were just a normal guy but instead you're acting like you're about to tie her to the railroad tracks yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know man I gotta say Madame Bovary is totally a complete and utter skip oh yeah, yeah. it's, it's the pits now I did kind of enjoy a little chaos the first I believe the first I'm not sure if it was the first film or not first or second film directed Rickman. by Alan Rickman who is of course one of the great uh, English actors I, man I love the shit out of Alan Rickman I mean, oh yeah he's, he's a classic uh, um villain to second Bruce film. Willis. Sorry, yeah, right? <laughs> it's the second film he made. Uh, his first film was The Winter Guest in 1997. Sorry. Uh, but this is a period piece where uh, Kate Winslet finds herself unexpectedly, you know, and, and thrillingly for her, being assigned to design a new garden project in Versailles. Uh, Versailles, sorry. Uh, 
and she's like, you know, she's unmarried, a widow, or widow? Yeah, she's a widow, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just is all into this. And she's very good at what she does, but she has a very unorthodox design style, uh, as is pointed out by the guy who's actually in charge of the pro- project, Matthias Schonartz. <laughs> Assigned to him by King Louis, uh, who is played by, uh, France, who is played by Alan Rickman. And the deal is basically back then, okay, do a good job, or we will, in fact, kill you. Yep. You know, but you're the one who wanted to do it. So hey, it's a good motivation. Not, you know, I'm not saying, this is your, this is on you, bro. If you, <laughs> if you fuck it up, that's on you. That's just how it works. And I think this is actually a very pretty little film. Oh, it's, it's extremely pretty. Yeah. I hated the, the audio levels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was in and out. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? But, um... You know, there's some amount of, like, her, like, this woman who's basically, like, has no interest in being part of society, suddenly being thrust into society. And there's, you know, it's not boring. It's just, like, it's a subplot more than anything else in the film. I mean, I'm more interested in watching this thing get built, which is actually pretty interesting when you eventually see it. Gorgeous. Well, yeah, I I found that uh, the the story itself, uh, par... Yeah, um, there's not much to it. Though. No, uh, so really, you're you're watching it for 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 Rickman and Tucci. Yeah, Rickman is in it rarely, but when he is, he commands the screen. Yep. Like the highlight of this whole film is a scene where Kate Winslet's character meets uh, Alan Rickman's character in this little garden where he's taken off his royal stuff, and so she assumes he's somebody else, not the king, and they spend a day together gardening and talking, and you're like, oh, that's actually a really cool sequence. They're, yeah. You know, uh, as well as Stanley Tucci, who is a total like fop of a bon nobleman. Yeah, and uh, he's hysterical every time he's on screen. It's this is you know this is a mom and dad film. This is you know it is it's a good one, but it's once again not a great one. It's just it's a little piece of of uh, fluff for people who religiously watch whatever comes on the BBC, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm surprised it got any sort of theatrical release at all, quite frankly, um, because it's just not a theater type of film. Uh, Matthew, there's no, there's almost no chemistry between Mm -mm. Matthias Schoenarts and Kate Winslet, who both look like they're only putting up with these love scenes so they can get through it and get to the next scene. But Kate Winslet, on the whole, is pretty charming here. Like, she almost always is. Yeah, and, and I gotta say, you know, un- unlike the last one, or like, unlike Far From the Matting Crowd, this isn't a, a folly of riches, you know? She doesn't just have the entire world on, on a platter, and it's so hard making decisions. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, now I'm having to scroll through and make sure we're actually hitting all the stuff we're supposed to hit because there's so many titles this week. Okay, so we are moving along at a good pace. So let's go ahead and talk talk about the film that was my pick of the week by a sizable margin. Oh, I'll agree. Which is What We Do in the Shadows. Finally out on Blu-ray, although it's been on Netflix for a while. Has uh, it? Yeah, they've oh, been man. doing that lately. Netflix signing like really good sweetheart deals like that. Uh, but this is my favorite comedy of last year. Definitely. One of my favorite comedies the last couple of years, probably. 2014 New Zealand mockumentary horror comedy film about a group of vampires who live together in a flat in Wellington. Uh, written by uh, Taika Watiti and Jermaine Clement, who of course from uh, Flight of the uh, Concords, who also both star in the film. And it's a, I've actually watched this like three times now. Already. Oh, it's, it's so adorable. <laughs> and it's like all four of these vampires, Viago, Vladislav, Deacon, and Pet- Petir- Petrir, live 
are both like they're all based on cliches of vampires. Like one of them is a Nosferatu, yeah. you know, and one of them is like Lestat, you know, one of them is like Louis, one and of them then, is like a Twilighty type guy. You well, know? and then one's like straight up Vlad the Impaler, Dracula. yeah, uh, which is Jermaine Clement, who is definitely the funniest character in this film, I think, uh, who has the best lines anyway. And they agree to have this documentary crew follow them around, which you know what? Don't worry about. You don't think too hard about. Yeah. The practicality of it, uh, because this will start you laughing out loud pretty quickly after it starts. One of the things that I really like, my two favorite things is probably, A, there's a group of werewolves that run around the town, too, <laughs> who are also equally pathetic. Like, that's the thing. These vampires, they're pathetic. Yes. They're so lame. <laughs> you know, they're just a mess. And you're like, they all think they're really cool, and they're totally uncool as hell. They totally drool. And the werewolves are even more uncool. <laughs> and they're really, yeah, there's like the whole werewolves and vampires don't like each other. Every time they have to interact, it's fucking funny as shit. The other thing is this character who shows up at one point who's the like the best friend of one of the the new vampire they just made mm-hmm. who is like the most milk-a-toast guy ever. And they love him. And they love him. They're like, oh my god, that guy is amazing. And they keep talking about, man, don't you love him? I love him. And there's nothing interesting about him. He's like <laughs> the most banal person ever to be on camera. And it's just this running joke that's genuinely hysterical when they do it. Uh, I... I, I just I think this film is a treasure. Mm-hmm. Oh no, absolutely! I can't. Uh, I, I I guess the main reason to get it on Blu-ray rather than DVD is all the extras. There's audio commentary from the actors, writers, and directors. Uh, there's a, a collection of uh, on-set footage clips called Behind the Shadows. There's a bunch of deleted scenes. There's a uh, brief video extras uh, on here, just little bits and pieces behind the scenes stuff. There's in character in character interviews, which is the best kind with the various characters. There's promo videos that came out. There's 50 different posters in a poster gallery for the nice. This is a pretty solid little set to come out. Um, yeah, it's such a good movie. I can't imagine not wanting to own this out of fear that eventually it won't be on Netflix. That's true. That's <laughs> like, fair you enough. Know, you just want to go, no, I want to make sure that this is in my collection. Definitely one of my favorite films of last year. Uh, did, when did you get to see this? Uh, when it was in theaters. Okay, so you did, you did get to see it last yeah. year then. Uh, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend that. All right, so we have reached the end of the show, uh, which brings us to our final title and also our giveaway. Take it. Totally forgot to do the reviews part at the beginning. Oh, yeah, reviews. Oh, reviews. Uh, and the last one of the day in our giveaway is Adult Beginners, which is a 2014 comedy drama film directed by Ross Katz, uh, based on a story by Nick Kroll from. Jeez, a shit ton Everything. of stuff. Yeah. What's the the, the uh, sports uh, sh- like comedy? Oh, sitcom? the league. The league, which is so good. Or yeah. the Nick Kroll show. Or the Nick Kroll show. But uh, he's playing a very different type of role here in this film, where uh, he plays a guy who was starting this tech company, and it was right on the eve of like like where everyone, all his investors are convinced they're going to make a shit ton of money, and it crashes and burns when it turns out like he can't get the parts to make the fucking thing for anywhere near the price that it would cost yeah. to manufacture it. And having nothing left, 
he decides he out of no other choices he ends up moving in i did say the title was adult beginners right i believe so i think so adult beginners uh he moves in with his uh very estranged pregnant sister played by rose byrne and his brother-in-law played by bobby cannavale well shit anything with him is we're seeing it's gonna be bobby dude i can't wait for the new vinyl show starring him he finally gets a real starring role oh really on hbo like the record industry in the 70s you're like fuck yeah he's gonna get some sideburns (laughs) Uh, on martin scorsese and mick jagger co-producing what yeah that's gonna be good but not this <laughs> this is not what we're talking about that is not that story uh he is doesn't know what to do is feeling down and out and they've got like a three-year-old kid she's super pregnant and they both have jobs and he's like they're like look we will pay you with room and board basically to be the the baby watcher and the 300 bucks a week yeah and 300 bucks a week to be the babysitter for this kid which he, being kind of a city, big city hipster, has no interest in doing whatsoever. But of course, I mean, it does go exactly where you would expect it to yeah. go. Like, he ends up getting charmed by this kid and is still out there trying to d- date around. There's lots of nice little, you know, cameos by various and sundry people who work in the comedy field, like Mike Birbiglia and Jane Krakowski. <laughs> yeah, Joel McHale's on the cover, but he is, he's, he's not. He's not, not anywhere near him. much. I as was, much as he should be. I was disappointed <clears throat> just because they work so well together that there wasn't more Manzukas. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I love Jason Manzukas. He is just the grossest, funniest filtho. I mean, the only thing really disappointed me at all was that just some of the guys like that aren't in this enough. Mm-hmm. But it is the Nick Kroll show, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and definitely his film to show, hey, you know what? I can actually do comedy with real believable drama in it as well and I think he pulls that off there's a lot of like bonding between him and Rose Burns they sort of get over their problems in the past and actually become close again that I found extremely endearing to watch and I think this is feels more like a Duplass Brothers type of thing you know like that sort of evolved mumblecore I mean it's not mumblecore but that feeling like what came out of that like we're just telling simple stories about people and families that are funny and light but feel realistic and this is one of those films I think it, I actually thought this was very well done. I thought the Duplasses had something to do with this. Did they? I didn't actually or see their names on it. Was something else? Uh, maybe, maybe they did. I'm not sure. I don't know. Yeah, I don't see them actually directly connected with this. But oh no, it is Duplass Brothers Productions. Okay, just none of they weren't named by person. Right. Uh, anyway, yeah, recommend this. And here's what you can do to win your own Blu-ray copy of this. Take it away, Joe. Uh. I'll get you started. Go to Twitter and make yes. sure you already are friended with or following at one of us net. That is our Twitter account. And what you're going to do is you're going to, with the hashtag uh, adult giveaway, I hope that doesn't get confusing, adult giveaway, you're going to write um, how you've disappointed your parents. Oh, there you go. Yeah, the best way, the, the number one way in which you've disappointed your parents. And the one we, answer we like the best, boy, that's really sadistic, isn't it? Hey, uh, hey, you want free? Okay. <laughs> we will send you copies of this. I think we have two copies to give away of this one. So, anyway, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Digital Noise. We'll be back again. I won't be back next week, but Joe and Richard will be back next yes. week with a whole stack of titles to review for you. Uh, until then, you have anything else to add? Uh, no, just uh, keep on shining, you stars. <laughs> keep on trucking, shine on, you crazy diamonds. And be eastbound and down. Yeah. Uh, and no releases too big, no releases too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review them all.